Aloha and welcome back to the Women on Fire podcast where I've got, listen, our our hosts, we have multiplied. It's not just two of us anymore. We have a, a third little lady on the hosting team. Yes, yeah. Oh my goodness. And this is our second episode with us now. So it's me, Daniela. It's Jamie and... Dun, 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 dun. Tiny Miss Coral Estelle. Yes. Hi, Coral Estelle. She kind of waved. Couldn't tell. She's she kinda... learning how to reach. Hey, she reached. She reached. She's reaching for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then she smiled. Oh, my. Watching a cute baby while we podcast. That's not I know. <laughs> <laughs> And so. she wants to talk today about breastfeeding. We were going to talk about postpartum and then we were like, well, we could talk about breastfeeding and that will take up the bulk of the episode. And that's pretty much the bulk of postpartum is what we laughed about right before we pressed record. <laughs> it's so true. There's so many aspects of postpartum to talk about. And we were trying to figure out which ones to dive into. And there's a lot of other important pieces and this one's just a ginormous piece of it. And there's lots of angles to just the breastfeeding alone. So, yeah. And this is not to, to discount anyone who isn't or who's chosen not to or who cannot breastfeed. That's not to be, this is not to be exclusive. This is just to talk about the topic um, because, yeah, it's a trip, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I have one question right off the bat, which you know, might be a funny starting point, but I'm really curious. How has it been for you to start breastfeeding again after having a, a 10 plus year hiatus? It's, uh, it's, it's been a trip. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it felt very natural, but then it definitely, there was discomfort and I had a clogged duct and I had to nurse through it. And, um, yeah. And it is, there is definitely, it was tender for a little while. Um, and there's no lip or tongue ties and there's no issues. It just was tender and, and cause it, there's so much action there. And that made me think about, like, I can see why some women who might have real sensitivities to their nipples or, um, or if you really do have latch issues, I was, I was taken back to my first child who I have a lot of latch issues with, um, maybe overthinking it, but that how it's easy to be like, this isn't for me as well. It's also hard because you have this little cooing face below you to not do it but it's hard when they're screaming at you and you're not and it's and you're working through issues you know Mm -hmm. so it sounds like you may have had some insights and skills that you picked up from maybe one and two that were helpful this time around too yeah and I also think really sitting with women who are breastfeeding I think that the more you normalize it then then when things are a little tender or are this or that it's not 
turned into this pathological, like something needs to be done because so much is about patience (laughs) and it's hard to be patient. You know, it's hard to be patient with ourselves. It's hard to be patient when all the things are sort of out of control and yeah, but they're on their own time. Yeah, you're in your own time. You know, that that's a good thing to harp on. The patience thing, the time <laughs> and dedication and consistency. And it's a full-time job and it's all consuming. Um, you have to be very present and in tune and paying attention to baby and your body and body awareness and extending that to your baby's body. And it, it's just a lot of things and although it is natural um and yes intuition is a big part of it and it's not the only piece it's also a socially learned practice that's passed along from woman to woman and when that's not there as much in our society that can lead to some um more challenges because women are like I've never seen anyone breastfeed before but I'm gonna try it myself and and then it's like okay there's a lot of social aspects of it of um so that's just something to recognize. Um, and you're reminding me of, you know, when we support moms in those early hours postpartum in that first latch um, and how sometimes women be like, oh no, they're, they're like, I put the breast in front of them, but they didn't just get it right away. And then the reality being that that's not usually what happens they usually need some time like they're just gonna like feel the boob and they might smell the boob and they might kind of lick the nipple and this might take like half an hour or longer who knows just moments of familiarizing themselves with this new breast even though it's intuitive for them it's built into them to nurse it's still new for them yeah they have to take they have to take the time to get familiar and figure out what they're doing I mean she's 12 weeks old and just realizing how to reach out you know (laughs) so So it is yeah to take that time and slow down and let them (laughs) (laughs) so is there being patient with yourself Uh, yeah that's 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 a hard one yeah the slow down time postpartum when we're encouraging moms to slow down. There's a lot of reasons for it, but part of it is that slow down to tune in with your baby because the babies are in slow down mode. You know, they don't know anything about coffee in this crazy rat race world we've created. They don't know about that fast, fast pace. Everything's like slow motion for them. So it's like slow down to meet your baby's rhythm. So that you can work on that bonding for the breastfeeding. Oh, right. goodness. Oh. <laughs> uh, is there anything that you'd like to share about that initial latch or those, those first latches, exploring it together? Yeah, yeah. I think that it's really good to know that the first, like, you know, couple days, one, you don't you're not going to have milk, which some folks don't realize that or know that they're expecting like, well, what am I, what's the baby going to eat? Even though they know they're going to breastfeed, some folks don't realize that 
that there's no milk it's just colostrum and that the baby has to work pretty hard to to extract it however that's also like they're not in go mode as far as filling their stomachs and whatnot they're they're in that exploratory phase and so they're gonna latch off and on and they're gonna rub their face (laughs) and bang their face on the nipple and you know and try to try to bring it out try to bring it out and so to not panic that baby is losing weight and um I think one thing that's another misconception that happens a lot is people think that the baby has to have the perfect latch when they latch on um and that breastfeeding is not gonna hurt and that is not what I've seen through experience is that it's not uncommon for the initial latches for the first couple days or even two weeks or something that when the baby first gets on and draws the nipple out, it might be uncomfortable for like 20 seconds or 10 seconds until they elongate the nipple. And, and so when I used to do a lot of lactation consultations for folks, I'd watch them put the baby on, initially latch them, and then they'd be like, ow, 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 and then they'll take them off, and then they'll like do it again, and that initial latch, ow, 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 and then they'll take it off, and the baby gets more and more angry because they're like going in and out, and the mom is getting more and more frustrated because they're going in and out, and it's, you know, the baby sucks harder to keep the nipple in every time it gets pulled back out, (laughs) then there's sores and things like that, so to, to also keep in mind that yeah when baby first latches it might be a little uncomfortable and you might have to adjust them turn their bellies towards your belly or even hold your boob a little bit like kind of so um the nipple is at a different angle or you push down where your where your breast tissue is um in the baby's nostrils things like that but to make little adjustments before taking them all the way off and putting them all the way back on again. What is your experience in that, in that realm? What have you seen or what is your suggestions sometimes when you're working with moms and their initial latching? Yeah, you're right. That's a common experience of the initial latch being painful. It's not always, but it's quite common. And then especially right that first week, first few days, maybe a couple of weeks, And you're looking at the complete picture of what all is going on of, you know, has the milk actually come in? Are there any ties? Is baby gaining some weight? Are they peeing and pooping, right? What is the complete picture here of why the tenderness may be occurring? But when everything else checks out fine, it's usually just the fact that, yeah, the nipples being drawn out again, babies refining their latch, you know, it's like, it might be okay, it might not be so okay, but they're working on it. So it's just like the first week of the nipples, even if you've breastfed before, it's still they got to get kind of used to that again. But that's the thing that when moms say, it kind of hurts just for like the first 10 seconds, and then it goes away. 
and it and and it can yeah I mean it's often not unusual for a mom to say it's like toe curling oh but then it just go, kind of goes away and it's like okay it's not pain throughout the entire nursing session so that's always really good to hear and when you're experiencing that it's largely just okay just something to work through right now and eventually it kind of goes away um like over weeks um and and even the fact that like well why does it hurt at the beginning and then not throughout the whole session it's right, right the nipple getting drawn out more the latch getting deeper it's like maybe at the beginning of the session maybe it's a little shallow and they're working really hard to pull out the nipple but then they figure it out and then it's like oh okay <laughs> ease so there is a bit of a little transition period of tenderness some have more tenderness than other but it's common to have some tenderness in the beginning and then it, you just do want it to get better is the yeah thing. you want to see progress you <laughs> want to see weight gain you want to see and you want to see less pain and and of course if folks are getting scabs or they're getting like direct compression lines once they're taking the baby off the nipple and a compression line is like when you have like a rubber mold or something and you can see the seam that it's put together like the end of the nipple will have like a a line that is compressed around or it's a lipstick shape and those are those are not deep enough latches so there is something to that but you can't really diagnose that if you're just going off and on and off and on is something that to, to watch out for. And, um, yeah, so pain and, but you know, no pain and you want to see weight gain are the main, the main situations. Um, and if mothers do start getting little scabs or getting compression lines, then it is good to either watch some videos or invite another breastfeeding mother over or find a lactation support person. Um, because once you have scabs on your nipples, then it actually makes it even a little more challenging because they're going to nurse on that rawness and, and sometimes that can hurt too. But there's things you can use to help those heal. Um, you can do like hot salt water in a, in a haka or in a bowl uh, of warm water if you don't have a haka. Um, with salt water, there's different oils and things like that. Um, what do you usually recommend when you when you see scabby nipples and the latch looks okay or you know and we can go down the road of tongue ties and whatnot too but typically those are good to be diagnosed by a pediatric dentist but yeah right we're just talking about when things are normal there aren't extra things going on um it can still be a little tricky Right. Sometimes folks think, well, as long as I do everything natural, then, you know, like birth at home, then breastfeeding will go smooth. And it's true that you are absolutely stock stacking the odds in your favor as far as, you know, the less you intervene, the less there's stuff in the way um, of your breastfeeding goals. It's true. Right. If you have less meds and IVs or whatever um, and various meds, but 
sometimes, you know, you do all the things to let things be as uninterrupted as possible. And sometimes things still kind of happen that you need to work through. Um, so, you know, I, I saw some scabby nipples the other day and it was like, yeah, it was mom's, uh, well, I don't know, sometime in the first week, um, first few days, perhaps, um, but, she, you know, everyone's experience is different. She was quite the champ. I mean, she wasn't too phased by it. She's like, yeah, but it's getting better already. I was like, okay. So she just kind of kept going and it did. It just got better. So even though <laughs> there, it was a little scab, she was and tender. It was already getting better and she didn't really need a lot of extra stuff to help her figure it out other than kind of just yeah, we refined a few things of how she could position herself and her baby, but ultimately it was kind of a push on through, keep paying attention. And as long as it's getting better and as long as it's not leading to clogged ducts, which it can, right? Because the ducts like literally covered on top and like the milk can't quite spray out. But those dads, right? Yeah, they're literally covered. Um, but in those moments, what can help? Um, well, right. A lot of it's just like, let the nipples heal. Like stop yeah, wearing bras. and air. For real, <laughs> let them air dry. Oh, sunshine. Uh, yeah, you don't want more things rubbing on the nipples that are so tender as it is. So stop running around and inviting company over. Right. Topless. Stay mm-hmm. home. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's why we can be pushy about the whole, just have your postpartum space or cave or slow down so that you can kind of focus on these little details um, and have less distractions. And how Uh, it ends up paying off so much in the long run because you're not struggling out in the world. Yeah, Yeah, and it's kind of stuff like that that can lead to what we hear all the time that there's a huge percentage of women in the world that believe that they just couldn't breastfeed. Like their bodies literally biologically couldn't pull it off when really the percentage of women who biologically cannot create breast milk, like they have some sort of hormonal issue or they didn't develop their mammary glands is a very small percentage of women. So when we hear women say, oh, I couldn't breastfeed, it's usually actually just reflecting that, you know, there was something along the way that got in the way, or maybe there wasn't enough support, you know, from her community, from her friends or family or her providers, um, right? Cause like we said, it's a socially learned thing by and large. So if you don't get to see that often, that can get in the way and certain intervention Going back to work at six weeks or eight weeks right you're busy hosting all the visitors that want to see how cute the baby is and don't realize how it keeps interrupting the breastfeeding adventure um so it's just layered it is layered indeed yeah um, but but hey, I know the the Haka thing was something. I wasn't around last time you were nursing, and now it is. Have you gotten to play around with it? Yeah, I think the Haka has been really great for for us. I have a freezer full of milk, and I haven't opened my pump yet. And I only 
really just put it on like once in a while now. At first I was putting it on every day because I just had a lot, a lot of milk at first. And now it seems to be adjusting more to her needs, which is great. And that too, I, I have to admit, I was a little worried. She's a great sleeper. And so I was like, well, you have to nurse at night in order to keep my supply up during the day. And even though she just sips a little bit at night, it's, we have no problem with milk, which is really great. And, and even I, who has lots of experience, like psyched myself out about those things of like, you're not nursing enough. How am I going to have enough milk? And then, but we do, I just was, you know, in my head about it. And it's an interesting, um, interesting thing to relive because this is things that we reassure women of all the time. And like, I know I've never had a problem before, but for some reason I was like, what if we don't, what if I don't have enough milk this time? And there's, there's been a lot of things along the journey that, that you, uh, that are really real. And so I think like reliving it and being like, Oh, that is a thing. Like, and I know better, but I still not that another person doesn't know better, but, um, <laughs> but I've had so many experiences. So it was interesting to be in a place of psyching myself out. Um, one thing that I also, when I was laying here on the bed, nursing her, one thing I really think it's important for moms to know is um, postpartum body work is is everything <laughs> or like some sort of yoga practice or something because if you're feeding at night or you're feeding in the bed you become a contortionist mm -hmm. while you're sleeping and your back gets all twisted and you're arching and you're you know you're trying to make sure the baby doesn't fall off the bed so you're always laying on the same side you don't you know there's sleeping in bed with your baby and nursing specifically is um is a real workout and like I feel it in my neck I've had to like change switch out the pillows in different ways and um yeah I guess I just forgot about that <laughs> but, but it's really interesting and I think it's something that if mothers are looking for um gifts or if people offer for body work um and massages or if it's if you have everything you need for your baby ask for gift certificates for getting your back and your neck worked out because yeah. <laughs> it's intense right. and you have a growing weight that you're always looking down at all the time that's a good <laughs> heads up for folks because then once you're in it and it's those first few weeks and months of figuring out life with the baby again. It's hard to think of anything other than the basic needs because you're like, I barely have time for anything else. Like, I don't like I'm just trying to feed myself. If I'm lucky, feed this baby sleep if I can. Uh, what is sleep? Um, <laughs> so. So, yeah, prepare yourself to have some sort of body work lined up and some sort of movement that you do gentle stuff nothing doesn't have to be crazy it's just like just movement to balance out all the baby holding and nursing yeah but like and, and it doesn't have to be a luxury like there's 
there's free gentle yoga videos you know your friend can rub your neck they might not be the masseuse of the century but like your friend or your partner or your mother you can ask for these things and like I said I mean it's great if you can afford body work but it doesn't have to be a luxury it's honestly like touch that you could melt into and just breathe slowly and like come back into your body also I think makes a huge difference yeah but also put it on your baby registry and come on (laughs) that's right that's right yeah don't be afraid to ask for those things because what helps mom helps baby and that's one of those things like it has nothing it has everything to do with breastfeeding and it has nothing to do with breastfeeding at all you know like but yeah your your body's gonna get a workout afterward right (laughs) right constant workout so you mentioned the clogged duct earlier do you want to share some things that were helpful for your case Yeah, well, it was really interesting because I've never had a clogged duct that I can remember. I had mastitis when I was weaning my daughter, my other daughter, um, which was interesting too. Um, I almost felt like that when I got that, it was like the universe smacking me in the face being like that way. When you look at women with mastitis, you can say, girl, I know. (laughs) And now I you know the clog duct life. And now I know the clog duct too. And it was, it hurt. It felt like a little like paper cut or like, I don't know. It was like a little pinpoint, super sore when she would nurse. Super, super, super sore. And yeah, it took me probably half a day to decide that that's what it was because there was nothing to see. I just felt it when she nursed and so I was like well is it what is it is it some sort of fungal thing is it some sort of do I have a crack on my nipple do I have what's going on and then I figured and nothing was coming out other than milk but every time she nursed and, and then it got worse and worse through the day and I just kept nursing her as much as I w- she would let me on that side, even though it hurt really bad. Um, and then by morning, it was gone, but there was still inflammation. So it still was a little bit tender, but she nursed it right out of me. Okay. And were you able to feel, um, did your breast feel different? Was there any part that seemed significantly lumpier or bigger than usual? Nope. Red nope. Couldn't feel it. Enough. Couldn't see it. I could only feel it when she nursed and it was just for that, like, I don't know, 18 hours or something. And, it, but it, what it felt like, it did feel like something was trying to like push through something that was too small, mm. like a head out of a vagina. Ah, <laughs> yes. No stranger to that. <laughs> I just kept actually it's funny because I was sort of visualizing like since that's what's happening like it's just going to move through it's just going to move through each time she's nursing it's stretching the duct and it's making it move through Uh and whether that's the power of the mind or what I don't know but there's good homeopathics that are good for those two I like to recommend Brionia and Phytolacca 
for them and for mastitis because usually often a clogged duct will lead to mastitis if unattended so so it never hurts to start with those and those are for, for inflammation and like stuck energy so yeah awesome so you just nursed away until she cleared it out and she did and then it felt better and yeah you're all clear now okay yeah it's also been interesting to watch her like reject which is interesting and I remember with my other children being like but why won't you take the boob you know especially the first one and then just getting more and more attuned to the cues of like that's not what I want to do that's why I'm trying to push you away (laughs) and how there's so much less fussing when I honor that instead of continue to be like no you're hungry you must eat (laughs) you know um um, a lady that we supported together made this funny post in Spanish but I'll translate it it's like it must be so hard being a baby where you're crying because you you imagine crying you're uncomfortable you have an itch and your mom just puts her boob in your face it's like <laughs> like it's not always the boob or the feeding or that comfort it's like there's something else going on <laughs> I can't communicate it any other way and on one I know like oh my gosh hilarious but also I was like oh, another layer of insight that like it's not always that they want the comfort or feeding or nursing or that I mean it often is but it can also be other things. Um, and yeah. then to think that like, wow, I don't ever think that a baby has an itch that they need addressed. <laughs> right. <laughs> Never well, considered also- that option. That that was heartbreaking because I know what it's like to not be able to reach an itch and it's uncomfortable. But you know, we're adults, yeah. we can handle discomfort a little more. We've got experiences, but they're new. <laughs> So just yeah. something to consider. It could be so many different things, but that's part of the journey is just tuning in. That's why the slowdown, so you can tune in to get to know their personalities and their cues and what their different sounds mean and their different cries. And, and, and then you get to try all these different things and different holds and figure out what works for them. <laughs> and sometimes it changes every couple minutes. Uh, uh. And, you know, the the whole thing with pacifiers and breastfeeding and nipple confusion and all these things, right. That comes down to the rejecting the breast thing sometimes too, where sometimes she wants to suckle, but she doesn't want to suckle the breast because she gets, and she'll even get mad when I, my breast lets down sometimes where she's like, no, (laughs) you know, (laughs) drowning. And it's not what she wants and so sometimes she just wants to suckle and that's that's interesting too because pacifiers I feel like are such a touchy subject for a lot of people and um you know they really are tools I have not used a pacifier but I you know wash my hands and I let her suck on my thumb and there's a reason why babies suck on their hands and stuff like that you know so they just can't find their hands for the first couple months (laughs) so yeah so they get that's why a pacifier can be helpful tool during those times um but it's important to I think why it gets a stigma is it gets plopped in a lot as opposed to 
um, using it as the tool that it is designed for, which is not to um, shut them up. It's to help, you know, help them through those those moments of needing that digestion to keep moving down and and soothing, but not every time it pops out, you're like sticking it back in sort of idea. Hey, and that's a great point that I, I think fingers are often underutilized. Like they, they love their hands. They'll love your hand, you know, pinkies, thumbs, like granted, then that means, well, you're still there attached to them. Um, but when you can, sure, a finger is fine. And that's a great tip for like anyone who's not the mom who doesn't have a nipple to just throw in the baby's mouth, even though that might not even be what they want. But, you know, there's a sister holding baby like, yeah, wash your hands, give them a, a little finger to suck on. And then it gives them that simulation on the roof of their mouth. And often that's enough to comfort them. And then if you do that and they're still not satisfied and calming down then well now you know something else is going on maybe they do want to eat or maybe it's a wet diaper maybe it's an itch on their back that they can't reach uh, <laughs> right but a, maybe it's the darn tag on that cute outfit you have them at. <laughs> exactly so it could be those things um yeah pacifiers can be a double-edged sword indeed but when used carefully and mindfully, then they can totally be helpful. We just want to avoid it, it can it has the potential of getting in the way with feeding as well sometimes. So it's just like anything, right? Even too much water is problematic. We just got to be careful with how we use things and um, but it can have its place. Yeah, I mean babies, they they have that instinct to suckle to soothe for the first you know three or four months and so and then they kind of outgrow that and so that's usually what I also just let folks know if they're on the fence about using a pacifier or they really want to use them but they don't want it to become like a habit that they have to wean off at like two years old and cutting it shorter and shorter or whatever people you know try to have or go through the week of meltdowns or whatnot is to just remember that, you know, that necessity to suckle, to soothe, it, they kind of start out growing at around three, four or five months. And so you can kind of start weaning off or only use it in the car or only, you know, but don't like not for bed, things like that, that um, sometimes are good ways to, to wean off. And it is related to breastfeeding. I don't think that babies are, don't, understand which nipple they have in their mouth the nipple confusion thing I actually think it's the opposite I think babies are really smart and they're not confused at all so like some babies prefer a bottle because you don't they have a fast flow nipple and they don't have to work as hard some babies will not want the breast but they'll want the pacifier because they know that they're not going to get milk out of it some babies don't want the nipple the artificial nipples at all and they only want the breast and the finger I don't think that babies get confused I think they're very I think they know exactly what they want within a short period of time of repetition you know yeah right maybe confusion ain't quite the right word for it but some degree of they'll get used to things though and they yeah, may preference. develop preferences and those preferences <laughs> may not align with your goals with your goals exactly <laughs> yes so so yeah there's lots of different tools you just reminded me. I actually used a pacifier till I was much older, but it might scare people. I need to talk to my mom. I have some questions. 
<laughs> not sure how, like I, I just have these memories of like me going to the drawer I don't know it must have been still like maybe six <gasps> yeah somewhere around there and like I remember my dad trying to throw away the pacifier and it was always a game of like where is it they're like oh no we must have lost it and but <laughs> another one but yeah okay but that's a special case you know <laughs> it's not that uncommon actually. But, but yes I don't know maybe I'll have the answers next time we get together about why <laughs> that was the case <laughs> what's the deal with Benzavire for real uh, but d- it did eventually stop so so that's good yeah, um, definitely <laughs> unless you become a raver most people aren't going to college with a pacifier oh now. that's right it, it's made a comeback this is true right but they made those decisions to re-embrace the pacifier afterwards <laughs> after having a hiatus of many years <laughs> all right little coral estelle any any last thoughts to share with the world breastfeeding adventure say sometimes it's really helpful to have some milk when when you get the hiccups <laughs> right there you have it yeah it's a, it's interesting because there's definitely like different funny phases of that to relive of the off and on and off and on when they get older too and um it really is so much about just trying to like pay attention and slow down and and give yourself permission to make mistakes or you know you're not always going to be able to slow down in some people's lives but um as best you can uh especially again when you put it in on that front end as much as you can even if you can't stay in the bed for five or ten days you know stay home and stay topless and you know go back to bed as much as you can <laughs> you that on a t-shirt stay home stay topless <laughs> and go back to bed as much as you go can <laughs> i can see them now uh, until next time folks <laughs> yeah. stick around for wonderful one-liners that come out <laughs> we'll have a t-shirt line one day for real <laughs> but of like very helpful advice (laughs) that nobody asked for (laughs) unsolicited advice t-shirt line that's what it will name the company (laughs) you're welcome you're welcome (laughs) stay tuned next week we will have more unsolicited advice for you we're chock full of it Uh, we have the best of intentions (laughs) but none of it is medical advice it's all just hearsay it's all just stuff we collect and gather and share from one mother to another yes indeed from from various wise wise women and babies and sometimes fellas too we have some wise fellas in fact we have a couple that i think hopefully we can get them on in the next soon time um a mother and a father talking about their birth stories and they're pregnant with their third and how they're navigating that adventure as well so absolutely you know what while we're at this um so we're gonna have a few episodes um hopefully in the next few months dedicated to uh pregnancies that have gone let's say beyond 42 weeks um just because that's such uncommon 
experiences nowadays and it's been coming up a lot for us and we um we want to highlight that and dive into it um kind of immortalize these stories um to learn from and inspire uh other women through so if you're a woman who's navigated a pregnancy well beyond 42 weeks and you're willing to share your story and be a wonderful guest we would be very honored to have you um, and if you're curious about that you can send us an email at uh, woman on fire podcast at gmail.com and and then we can go from there yeah sounds great and you'll just have to be patient <laughs> patience yes. that's the that's what the whole the whole thing going beyond 42 weeks is definitely a, a game of patience mm-hmm. um as is the breastfeeding this is really quite the the word to define <laughs> all of human experience <laughs> okay so this episode is uh postpartum breastfeeding and patience oh no <laughs> the journey oh well it's always fun to share screens with you my dear and have some laughter and some off the cuff um conversations about fun stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know this was awesome and I look forward to next time yes me too okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. aloha